This is Curl Up with a Cat Tale, and I'm Gwen Cooper, the New York Times bestselling author of numerous cat-centric titles, including Homer's Odyssey, A Fearless Feline Tale, or How I Learned About Love and Life with a Blind Wonder Cat, Spray Anything, More True Tales of Homer and the Gang, and The Book of Possum, Head Bonks, Raspy Tongues, and 101 Reasons Why Cats Make Us So, So Happy. We're here to celebrate all things feline and to tell inspirational cat tales. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tale with Gwen Cooper. I am, of course, Gwen Cooper, your host, and delighted, as always, to be here with you today. Later on in this episode, we are going to be speaking with Stacy Greasebox. Stacy is an innovative and incredibly talented singer. Um, I guess probably the best way to explain what she does is that she does jazz reimaginings of country music standards by icons including Patsy Cline, Dolly Parton, Shania Twain. Um, but it's really so much more than that. And we're going to get a chance to hear from Stacy and hear her discuss her music. And also, we're going to get to listen to some of that music. Um, Stacy has performed at Carnegie Hall and Birdland here in New York and the Country Music Hall of Fame. So it's a real treat to have her on the show. And Stacy, in addition to being lovely and talented and all that sort of thing, is also one of the all-time great cat ladies. And so we will be discussing cats and music with her. And and we're actually also this is this is a first for the podcast, but we're going to be doing our first ever giveaway. I have three CDs: um, Stacy's Patsy Cline songbook, her, her Dolly Parton songbook, and her Shania Twain songbook. And we, I'm going to be giving away one copy of each of those. Uh, the way that you enter, so Stacy's Stacy's cat has a name, of course, as all our cats do, a, a very long and complicated name, and then also a shorter nickname. And so in order to enter, what you have to do is write to me at Gwen at GwenCooper.com and let me know the name of Stacy's cat. You'll hear it in the interview. And you can either give me that long, complicated name or the nickname. Either one is fine. Um, but that is how you enter. And I will fr- will be drawing three winners from the entrance and announcing them in my Friday newsletter. And if you are not on my mailing list already and you're wondering, well, Gwen, I'm not on your mailing list. How am I supposed to know whether or not I want a CD? I have a very simple answer to that question for you. And that is join my mailing list. You get a free copy of a new book all about Homer, just for joining my mailing list. And it's an electronic copy, but it is free. And you can get that simply by going to my website, GwenCooper.com, G-W-E-N-C-O-O-P-E-R.com, and click on the tab on my website that says join my list and follow the instructions and you will get signed up and you'll get your free book and you'll potentially be entered to win this giveaway and all kinds of greatness will follow. Um, I'm kind of running out of steam on that one, so I'm going to stop talking now. Um, I'm going to keep this front portion of the podcast today pretty short so because I I had a nice long conversation with Stacey and I want to leave plenty of time for that. So I do just want to give a quick update on Cobble Small Animal Rescue. I, I, I do continue to monitor the situation, uh, just so you guys know. We're, we're not talking about it as much, and obviously the news isn't even talking about it as much, since the United States Army and our allies left Afghanistan. But just to let you all know what's going on, um, 
Charlotte and her team are still there and they are still being, they are keeping pretty mum about their evacuation plans. Again, it is a rapidly deteriorating situation in Afghanistan. Um, there's a great deal of escalating violence, both protests against the Taliban and also now some ISIS violence as they are vying with the Taliban for power in Afghanistan. So the situation is increasingly dangerous and unstable, and that is why Charlotte is is not giving is not offering too many specifics of the plans that she has to get the animals and her st- her staff and herself of course to safety. What I can tell you though is that very loosely the plan right now is to evacuate the dogs to Canada and the cats to the United States and you may recall that one of the big reasons why Charlotte was not able to evacuate back before the U.S., you know, when the U.S. Army itself was evacuating is because the CDC is not allowing any dogs into America from Afghanistan. And this is because Afghanistan is a country with a high incidence of rabies, even though, of course, Charlotte's dogs have been vetted and quarantined and inoculated and given their rabies shots and are certainly not rabid. Um, It would have been nice if given the exigent circumstances, this policy, there, there could have been a situational and thoughtful exception to this policy in this case, but that did not happen and it does not look like it's going to. So this is currently the plan for the dogs to go to Canada and for the cats to come here to the United States. And while Charlotte is still in Afghanistan, she is continuing to rescue animals. Just yesterday, um, or two days ago, rather, there, there's, a, a, of course, a significant time difference. So it's a little confusing even to me. Um, but about two days ago, for example, um, they brought in a puppy who had been injured because some children were throwing rocks at him, which is, of course, just a horrible thing to hear. And, you know, we were also devastated when we heard the news that Charlotte had not made it out of Afghanistan with her animals and that they all were still there. But in some ways, I, I guess it's it is a comfort to know that as mu- as bad as things are getting in the country, there is still a beacon of hope in Charlotte and her team for street animals. I mean, really, every day, if you visit her social media accounts, if if you're following what they're doing, every day brings a fresh story of another dog or cat or tortoise or a peacock or, yes, peacocks or, or goat um, that they have managed to rescue. And, you know, during the evacuation back in August, a lot of people either chose or were forced to leave their pets behind. And so a lot of the work that Charlotte is doing, in addition to rescuing stray dogs and stray cats, is also collecting animals for people um, who had to leave their pets behind. And so there's a lot of incredible work that's still going on, and Charlotte definitely still needs our financial help. And if you have been weighing whether or not to make a contribution, I encourage you to visit Cobble Small Animal Rescue on Facebook, and you can find donation information there. Um, It it really is incredible work that she is doing. It it is so inspiring and and humbling for me um, to to see just what an amazing rescuer and, and... what an incredible difference this woman is making in the lives of so many animals. And I, I, I don't know, I, I can only speak for myself, I suppose. I don't know how the rest of you feel, but I know that I have been motivated to, to try even harder to, to make a difference 
in my own life by Charlotte's example and and hopefully some others feel the same way and and this is an example of goodness that spreads. And on that note, like I said, I'm going to keep it pretty tight up top because I do want to leave plenty of time for my interview with Stacy. Um, normally, I have a little bit of jazz music that I play during this interstitial that that separates, you know, the first part of the podcast from the second. But today, I'm going to let Stacy play us into the next part of the podcast. And so, right now, we are going to listen to one of my favorite songs of hers, and this is a, a jazz reimagining, a reinterpretation of Shania Twain's No One Needs to Know. And I hope you guys enjoy listening to this and stick around for more Curl Up With a Cattail. Am I dreaming or stupid? I think I've been hit by a cupid, but no one needs to know right now. I met a tall, dark, and handsome man, and I've been busy making big plans, but no one needs to know right now. I'll tell him someday, some way, somehow, but I'm gonna keep it a secret for now. I want the bells to ring, a choir to sing, the white dress against the cake, the car, the whole darn thing. But no one needs to know right now. I'll tell him someday, some way, somehow. But I'm gonna keep it a secret for now. Yeah. We'll have a little girl, a little boy, a little Benji, we call Leroy. But no one needs to know right now And I'm not lonely, lonely anymore at night And he don't know, only, only he can make it right I got my heart set, my feet wet And he don't even know it yet But no one needs to know right for sticking around. I am thrilled to welcome today's guest to the show. Ms. Stacy Greaseback is an LA-based vocalist specializing in reimagining the great American songbook of country music in the style of jazz. Her debut album, My Patsy Klein Songbook, 
was released in 2019 to a rave review from Rolling Stone and has since been followed by tributes to the music of Shania Twain, George Jones, and most recently, Dolly Parton. Stacy has performed at Carnegie Hall, the Country Music Hall of Fame, and the legendary Birdland right here in New York City, among numerous other venues. And you can catch her live at the Jalopy Theater in Brooklyn on October 15th, at Cadenza in Freeport, Maine on October 22nd, and in Nashville, Tennessee on October 29th at Jazz Cave at the Nashville Jazz Workshop. Perhaps most importantly, or, or more important than all of that, however, Stacy is the mom of an adorable calico named Peanut. Please give a warm <laughs> curl up with a cattail welcome to Stacy Greaseback. Stacy, hello. Oh my gosh. Well, hello. And I have to say, I'm sitting here on my couch in Santa Monica, California, and right next to me, curled up because we had so much fun just playing with Mr. Fishy. Uh, she is taking a nap yet this morning. So. I'm hoping you're building up to, you haven't said your cat, but I'm hoping based on the Mr. Fishy comment that, yes. that it is in fact your cat that, that you are referring to. Um, yes, Miss Miss Peanut herself, yes. So I should actually, I'm going to say right up front in, in the nature of full disclosure that Stacy and I are actually personal friends. Um, in addition to her being a guest on this show, we are friends. We were actually friends through my husband um, because Stacy and I did not mention this in your intro, but among your your numerous accomplishments, and all I can say, by the way, is that, <laughs> is that we knew you when. Um, but you were a publicist for Sony Pictures, right? And you were in the you were in the movie business, and Lawrence right. was the editor of Variety, and and so you would pitch stories to Lawrence, and that was how the two of you originally met, and that is how you and I met. And I right. should also say that your performance at Birdland that was March third of twenty twenty. Yep. Yeah, and you were literally the last human being, other than each other, that Lawrence and I saw in person from between March third of twenty twenty and Mother's Day of twenty twenty one. Right. Wow. That that performance, uh, and and yeah. we we showed up wearing masks and gloves, and and we wouldn't hug you. I remember I wouldn't hug you because <laughs> yeah. we were already worried about this thing, and people were looking at me like, "What's up with the hypochondriac?" But um. Well, well, you were ahead of the curve. I mean, no one really at that time, we, you know, we were in New York and it was, we were so excited because I was actually slated to go. I was at Birdland, which was the huge thing for me to be playing, you know, the, the, arguably the most well-known jazz club in all of, uh, all of the world. I was going to and, say, we should specify that for people who don't know, this was, a, I, I didn't even want to go at the only thing that would have taken me out at that point, because we were already afraid of COVID was the fact that you, Stacy were performing at Birdland. And actually, you know what? I meant to do this and then we will continue with the story. I want you to spell you because I feel like people who who listened to the song playing you in before the interview, just in case they don't make it to the end, I want people to know where to find you online. So if oh, you yeah. can let them know and spell your name because it is, my yeah, name is, is so simple. Yours is a little trickier. So it is tricky. So it's Stacy. My parents got creative in the seventies and they decided to spell it S T A C I. And my last name is like Grease the country and Bach the composer. And it's G R I E S B A C H. Okay. So you can, uh, you can just go to stacygreasebach.com or you can even, um, you know, Google jazz and country music and Stacy and some somehow all that'll pop up. Um, because what you're doing is is pretty unique, I would think. The, this this reimagining of of country music through a as seen through a jazz prism. 
Well, you know, it is. And I didn't realize it until I kind of got into it. You know, I started um, in 2017, I did a 100-song tribute to the one and only Ella Fitzgerald. Um, many jazz singers, as they're coming up, she's, you know, sort of the beacon, the pinnacle, her, Sarah Vaughn, Billie Holiday. And I wanted to really understand the Great American Songbook and really dive deep into those those songs and learn them. And what way to do that, except for, you know, it is to go through uh, these legends that come before us. And so I did a, it was Ella Fitzgerald's Centennial in 2017, and I did this 100-song celebration of her. And it was really kind of an incredible experience. And at the time... I was gigging out here in LA. I had a residency at a hotel. So I would be working at Sony and on Friday night, I would cut the day short at 4.45, quick get in the car, hike all the way across town um, and set up my PA system. And, you know, with a trio, we gigged, uh, you know, and we just, we pulled up some of the great so American songs. you're talking like a jazz singer, and, but you, you gigged. Uh, you're, so, <laughs> you're so showbiz, Stacey Griesbeck. Well, you know, I have my jazz hands going over here, but uh, no, it was a lot of fun. But, you know, I kind of, you know, at, after a certain point, I thought, listen, it was started to feel a little inauthentic to me because, you know, I just kept calling the songs and playing the songs and, and it, it didn't, I was trying to look for something that would connect better, you know, that I had had a, a better and a stronger connection to the music but also that I could create a stronger connection to those people sitting listening, whether they're listening in a hotel restaurant for 20 minutes or whether they're actually at a show. And that's when I realized I wanted to record something. And this idea came to me about Patsy Cline because to me, she was sort of the beacon of country music, which is what I was raised on. I was going to say, you're, you're up a, on farm a farm girl. Right. You're a farm Wisconsin. girl. So you come by your love of country music pretty naturally actually. Well, yeah. I mean, I grew up, you know, when we were bailing hay, I mean, just country music was part of the soundtrack. It was just what you listened to. And, you know, you'd go to country music festivals. And when you went to the rodeo, there was the, you know, country band. And uh, you know, like, country your upbringing music... was very different from mine, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? Well, then mine and on Miami Beach. <laughs> it's a very... I, say, I did. I did read your diary book. So I do know right. that. <laughs> well, that, that book is not so much representative of my upbringing as such that that is a book actually that, that the people who brought me up uh, still, still cower in shame when they think about that book, <laughs> but, but it was a, uh, but, but my Miami in the eighties was a very different place than, than a dairy farm and in Wisconsin, let's say. Then North, <laughs> Northeast Wisconsin, rural Wisconsin. Correct. Yes, yes. Yeah. We were, you know, listen, it was a bucolic lifestyle. And really when you, think back on it I mean to have that sort of childhood upbringing is very rare these days I mean you you can't find it um I, I agree by yeah. the way I think it you know yeah. must have been like like the picture books that we used to read in element you totally. know when I was a little kid about what life on a farm was like and I was always the animal lover and I was like look at those lucky people who get to live with all those animals and uh, you know people I mean we had dogs and and I had friends with cats but you had like horses well, and cows and things like that Correct. And, you know, going down that trail a little bit, I know we're taking a kind of step away from the music, but it's fine because this is a show about your, your, the animals and, you know, growing up on a farm, we had replacement heifers. So we buy the baby calves at about 300 pounds and they were super cute. We'd raise them and then we, we'd get them pregnant, right? So they'd have a baby inside and obviously a 
cow needs to produce a calf in order to create milk, right? And so we would sell them. We didn't actually milk the cows, but we were the kind of intermediary for the animals. We were the caretakers. And um, it was a lot of fun. And at one point- Dined them and knocked them up. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) That's hilarious. That's exactly. But at one point, I'll remember specifically, I was probably around 13, 12 or 13, and I had just gotten my first camera from Sports Illustrated from getting enough, you know, points on something. And I had this little camera and I was so excited because that summer we had a lot of baby kitties on the farm. I mean, there was like, I don't know, a couple mamas and they both had litters. And basically we had at one point 17 cats and I kid you not 17. Now this was out on the farm. I mean, we were among acres and acres. And so the, the, the hardest part was just feeding them all, but then we, we had different barns. And so we tried taking a few kitties over to this barn, a few kitties to this barn. And, you know, I don't think all of them made it, you know, I mean, there was just so many little, little babies, um, but we tried, we tried our best and, you know, we would take over like milk and food and try to kind of, you know, keep them making, you know, make a home for them at these other farms and they like to wander. So who knows, maybe they ended up finding a new home somewhere. Um, I like to think that, but we had, so at, yeah, at one point in time, we had literally 17 little kitties living at our house and they, the funnest memory that I have or the most exciting memory is they love to come up to the old farmhouse and we had one of those screen porch screen doors that were you know with that metal screen and when the kittens were hungry they would come up the porch steps and the minute you would touch the door like you were going to open it they would jump and their claws would hit the screen and they would like attach themselves to the screen. <laughs> and it was the funniest thing. Like you didn't have to do anything. All you had to do was touch the door and they would jump on it. And I thought it was hilarious and fantastic. My parents absolutely hated it because they tore up how the screen, many door. screen doors, right, right? you know, but, and, and then Missy, we had a dog, golden retriever, Missy, and then Missy would get kind of fed up with the cats on her porch. So then she would chase them down to the barn and, you know, these were the bucolic sort of stories, you know, of just laying around on the grass, playing with kittens as a kid. I mean, th- those are memories that I'll cherish forever. That that sounds amazing. I, I, as a kid, would definitely have been so jealous of you as a kid. Although I have to tell you, I, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here in, in, and you and I were discussing this actually uh, before we started recording, just this as, you know, with the Delta variant out there and all kinds of like makeup and clothing that I bought and the optimistic heady rush of, yay, we're going back out has become just so much stuff piling up in the closet and drawers now, now that we have retreated back a little bit, thanks to, to Delta. And, right. and so I decided like, screw it. I'm, I'm putting on my, I'm putting on my new lipsticks. I'm wearing my new sweaters around the house. I don't care. You know, my husband will appreciate Fabulous. it. The cats will appreciate it. But so I'm sitting here in a new sweater that was in pristine condition for all of 10 minutes. And then Clayton <laughs> got in into my lap. I just, the screen doors reminded me of that because he was in my lap and Clayton likes to need the, the, yes. the, the soft yes. flesh of my belly, you know, above the, yeah. uh, the, like, like, like that, Let, let's just call it what it is. The roll above my jeans and right, it's Clayton's right. favorite place. And he goes, you know, while he's, <laughs> while he's kneading it. And, and so this sweater looks like it's been like, seriously, I put it on today for the first time and it looks like it's been through a war. 
Um, <laughs> and probably not as it's probably still easier to replace the sweater than it was for your parents to replace the screen door. But it is vexing. I cannot lie. I'm vexed. I am somewhat vexed. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, kittens, I mean, you know, what we what we allow them to do just because we love them, right? You know? Yes. So so peanut, I am assuming your 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 little peanut kitty is is not a working cat like the cats you grew up with, the barn cats. Um, she is, I, I'm guessing, a pampered so, like SoCal cat. She's you know, like- she's definitely a pampered SoCal cat. Yeah. She um, she's more the jazz cat, you know, like if, if, if my, if we're talking about this sort of path I'm on and celebrating music of growing up on a farm with country music, you know, now I live in this very metropolitan area of Los Angeles and I had this big fancy job with Sony pictures and I would travel to the jazz festivals around the world and listen to all this music and, and hobnob and all of that, um, you know, with the talent, with the studio it's kind of like my life out here and my life at from where I was raised are kind of meeting in the middle now, surprisingly at my, in my forties, you know, like the whole world is sort of gelling together. And so, yeah, I would sort of juxtapose peanuts life. Uh, her full name is Charlie Ann peanut Griesbach. I know she has um, a she very does, long fancy She name. does. She does go by peanut. She goes by P <laughs> she goes by Charles Ann. She goes by a lot of different things. Nugget, um, you know, we all have these million nicknames for our kittens. But she was an adopt. I adopted her, um, believe it or not, twelve years ago this week. I can because I remember when you adopted her, and we would have these long, earnest conversations about kittens. And so that that it's been twelve years is just twelve staggering. years and staggering. So she to lives. Me. She lives the jazz. Well, the jazz life in the sense of you Does know she she's very. Like- does she like it when you sing my she hates it when I sing and 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 now in (laughs) fairness nobody likes it when I sing but I don't know if cats necessarily you know you would think just because Clayton loves me so much and loves spending time with me he would like the sound of my voice and he does when I'm speaking but when I sing it's very upsetting for him and and he will leave He will leave the room. And so I'm wondering, is is this like anybody who's singing and is this a cat thing? But I'm guessing that that your cat actually likes hearing. Well, so when she was when she was younger, when I first moved into my condo, she I had I I bought my condo and my piano on the same day. Uh, You know, they were they were the two most important purchases of my life so far. And my piano uh, immediately went in this and occupies the second room, which is now kind of my studio. And when she was a little younger, now she she doesn't jump up there as much, but also mom's got a lot of clutter on the top of the piano. There's all these, you know, figurines of George Jones and Ella Fitzgerald and, and Patsy Cline. But um, she would jump up on the piano bench when I'm playing, and then she would jump all the way up onto the top of the upright, and she would lay and sleep on the top of the upright of the piano. I don't know if it was something with, like, the vibration of the piano that she just loved. I would but think now, so. Now she just, she kind of lays under, I have to watch because I'll be sitting at the piano practicing or, you know, working on, working through something and she will have come into the room and she'll either be under my feet or right behind the piano bench, just sleeping. And I have to watch because sometimes I'll get up in a rush and I could almost get a tail, you know, we don't want to do that. Right. And so she, she definitely loves it. Um, you know, it's interesting when certain singers come on, like if I play something on my phone or if I'm, playing something she she'll perk up 
And, you know, she's always, I mean, I have music on 24 seven. Uh, it's rare that I have a day where I'm just kind of in silence, but that does happen too. But she will, so she's been really exposed to music her entire life. I mean, I think that she is. She's a very cultured of, cat. She's a very cultured cat. Exactly. See, maybe that's it. Clayton is not as, as cultured, maybe, as Tina. And that's, <laughs> that's why he objects so well, you strongly. Need to expose. You need to say, okay, we're going we're gonna to take, we're going to have a listening day. Today's going to be Ella Fitzgerald. Tomorrow, we're going to put on a little Blossom Deary. Um, the next day, you know, you're going to hear a little Patsy Cline. And you just kind of go through and uh, sit and listen. Although she probably, did, I, I think she understands, like, even right now while she's sleeping, quote unquote sleeping, I think she's really awake. And I think she knows that I'm talking about her. Well, I, I think that they all tend to know that. I, I mean, my cats definitely seem to right. materialize. Like, like, honestly, right now, like, like Fanny is kind of doing that thing where she's rubbing it. You know, I, I record in my closet um, as people who are longtime oh, listeners okay. of this podcast. Right. You know, it's the only soundproofable room in this huge barn of a 150 year old house that we live in like it's all echo you know hard right. like high ceilings and echoey surfaces Beautiful. um so i sit in my walk-in closet where i set up a little recording studio and surround you know with my clothes like a crazy Perfect. person kind of pressing in all around me and i um, mean every so often the cats come in here and they're like see we told you closets are awesome and uh, <laughs> I, I think they really think that they have inspired, but every so often they get a little annoyed that I'm occupying their, you know, especially Fanny. Fanny really likes to, is one of those cats who likes to find like the deepest, darkest, most untrafficked corner of the closet and and call it her own. And so when I'm in here with the light on and and making a lot of noise, she'll give me this very reproachful look like, man, I, just, I got one corner of the house that I call my own and you got to just right. bust in and and ruin everything for me. But, um, but for so the most funny, part. Nothing. They are happy. I mean, it's not like my cats don't like closet too. Yeah. Peanut likes, she has, she has, um, really in, in my, in my condo here, she's, she's found a few spots that she can hide where I kind of go, peanut, peanut, where are you? You know? And one of them is the closet because if I have the closet open enough, she likes to lay among the shoes or she'll go into the very back corner where it's right next to where I put my suitcase and it's under all the clothes. And it's literally like no one could find her if they didn't know that she was there. But if I can't find her, I go there and sure enough, I touch a paw, you know, I reach in Oh, there's a paw. Yep. She's in there. So, you know, in, in all seriousness, and, and it's okay if the answer to this question, by the way, for you is no, but I do find for my cats, and it's not just that I write about my cats, I, I do find that just being a person who who likes books and likes to read and, and likes to write, and these are sort of, you know, activities that happen in, in quiet and still moments that my cats have definitely helped to center me in that over the years. Oh. I'm not sure... Mm -hmm that I would write if it weren't for the cats and not just because the cats have become my subject. Um, but I wonder if it's the same for you. If you, if you do feel that your relationship with peanut or with animals in, in general um, has had any influence on your music, on your, on your music, on your creative spirit. Well, I think on my music, but just on my person as a human, uh, you know, I, I will share with you. I mean, I've shared this with friends as well. You know, I mean, I, the, you know, anxiety has been something that's crept up probably for a lot of, of people around the world with the pandemic and with everything that we've been going through over the last few years, like these human 
emotions and conditions of fear and anxiety have risen where they've never risen before. And for me, coming off of a career transition, trying to do this new music career and put myself out there in a very vulnerable place too, um, has been, has had its challenges, you know, and has been emotionally, you know, I feel like I've grown as a human over the last few years, uh, leaps and bounds compared to being sort of in this little corporate nook where I felt very safe. Um, and you know, the one thing about coming home at the end of a day or coming home after wherever I've been, and I walk through the door, I'm a single woman and I don't have children you know, peanut is my girl. And when I come home, I feel like a lot of moms and dads probably feel this when they look at their kids. You know, when I look at peanut and I see her little eyes looking at me, mom, where have you been? What's going on? I'm so happy you're home. You know, it just, it really is such an emotional feeling, you know, and, and from that all the way to, you know, being that sort of emotional, um, grounding for me has been really important. Uh, she's, you know, she's, she's everything to me. And I think she knows that I tell her about 75 times a day, but I think, so I think she knows that I hope she can hear that. But the other thing is, you know, animals in general, I mean, originally I went to school at the university of Wisconsin, Madison, I went to school and I was pre-veterinary medicine and for three for three years, I went pre-vet and I finally realized I was performing at the time. I was a singer, dancer in a group. We were on the road 180 shows a year and there was no way that I was going to get the grades and be focused to do another four years of vet school. I mean, they're just, I had realized that part of me and I thought, you know what, Stacy, I can find a way to part, to have animals and have animals be a part of my life they don't have to be my work. And, you know, just recently, I've started thinking about how can I find, you know, an animal volunteer or rescue group to participate in, because I'll tell you this, and I will confess this on the show publicly. Um, I'm prepared, every, prepared, every, I'm prepared for drama. <laughs> this is, well, it's drama, but it's just a little bit of one of those, like, really, that's what you do? Um, so every evening, I am, I'm not a TikToker per se myself, but I am on TikTok. And here's why. Because when I go into bed at night, I love, I know they say you shouldn't have your phone with you, but I have my phone and my phone serves me up the cutest little kitty videos or puppy videos or even horse rescue videos. And I watch literally for at least 30 minutes, maybe even more video after video of these cutest kittens. And I just get obsessed. And I realized to me, touching, seeing, and experiencing the love of animals is something that's really, really important to me on a very serious level. Well, I think it's it's important for all I mean, for, for humans as a species, you know, I will say even for me, and I am definitely a, a dedicated city person. I it's not just that I didn't grow up in a farm. Um, as much as I love the idea of being around animals, I am not a person who who, to say the least, derives a great deal of joy from being in nature. Um, and and you've probably <laughs> heard me discourse on this at at greater length at times. I'm I'm not a nature girl, 
But I, right. I do think that just as a species, we are still animals. You know, humans are still animals. And mm-hmm. even somebody like me, who, who's very much a concrete jungle kind of person, acknowledges mm-hmm. that, that we do need some connection back to, to, to the nature from which we came. And I think even if it's just videos in bed at the end of the day, just I, I think it on, on a very primal level, it has to soothe and, and kind of nourish a very, a very basic and essential part of who we are as human beings to to have right. that connection with animals. And especially for somebody like you who grew up on a farm. Yeah. And, it you know, I mean, listen, I mean, I think I think being around animals like I, I have a good girlfriend, uh, college girlfriend who has she runs a, a beef farm. Uh, back in Wisconsin. And anyways, she, um, I, I've told her, I want to come and just play with the calves and run around and nuzzle a nose from, from a, from a, a baby calf. I haven't done that in how many years. And I think, you know, to me, um, you know, all animals are, are sacred and, and they're, they're beautiful. And I think I've, I've really grown to, um, you know, enjoy all species. You know, I think, you know, originally even dogs, you know, I used to like be huge, big dog liker. You know, I was a golden retriever. I often say I'm kind of the golden retriever in the room. Like if there's a party and you try to tell, you know, peg everybody as either a cat or a dog, you could go down the cat breeds or the dog breeds. So golden retrievers are your spirit animal. Dog breeds. It's like, you know, I walk in, I'm like, Hey guys, what's the party? Where, where is everybody going? You know? And (laughs) when I meet a poodle, I kind of go, wait, I don't understand you because I'm a golden retriever, you know, (laughs) like let's play. And the poodle's (laughs) like, yeah, I'm good. You know, I'm just going to sit over here and do my thing. You know, <laughs> and I so I think I think it's a it's a lot of fun to, you know, look at animals and and experience them and, and almost like better than people. You know, sometimes I'd, I'd much rather hang around. Animals. Oh, you, you I mean, now, now you're singing the song of about nine tenths of my audience. Honestly, if there's something that I hear most frequently from readers, it is that people have disappointed them in various ways, but that animals have never let them down. And uh, and and it is a, a very fair point. Um, but I, I do want to I'm, I'm going to shift the, the the topic of conversation a little bit because I do. I mean, we, we could sit and talk about animals forever. Um, right. But I do want to talk a little bit about your music. Um, yeah. Because, you know, uh, one thing I, I have to so I, I'm a, a jazz fan. I, I have not been much of a country music fan typically, um, but I do really enjoy your music. I, I think it's such an interesting combination of genres, country and jazz. And something that Lawrence, who who is is so very proud to have been your friend since before Aww. you started doing any of this, um, and he always gets your your CDs whenever they drop, and he has his little Stacy collection on on top of the uh, the, the the mantelpiece in in his office. Um, but I, I did want to to make the point that you it's you don't just sing cover, you know jazz influenced covers of country music you actually arrange the music yourself. You, you do, you know, in other words, it's not like somebody else laying down the sounds for you and then you following along, but you, this is part of your creative process is, is arranging the music yourself. Well, it is. However, I do hire arrangers. So what happens is like, for instance, for George Jones, like I came up with the concept. I knew I wanted to take George Jones music and I wanted to reimagine it. What I do. And this started actually when I got back from my trip to Birdland uh, with Patsy Cline, I started working on George Jones right away. 
And that first or second week of March, I had actually probably in February, I was already working on an Excel sheet before we knew what uh, COVID was. And what I do is I pull up a list of songs, all the songs that I'm considering, all the songs that I think I'd want. I put together this entire list and this grid that I have on Excel has different columns. So it might have a column for tempo. It might have a column for style or groove. It might have a tempo for feeling and emotion. It might have a tempo or a column for who I'd want to have play on the album, what the instrumentation looks like. Um, and I fill that out as much as I possibly can in terms of, you know, creating, okay, for this, for, you know, he thinks I still care. What do I want to do? Well, the song is originally, she thinks I still care. I knew I wanted to flip the gender reversal. I wanted to play it off as this kind of sassy single female um, and put it in an up-tempo swing. That was kind of natural, right? So what happens is then I have this Excel grid and I have all these songs. I have to narrow that down. And then, you know, I am blessed to be around and to have met and been working with these musicians that are world-class. And they are world-class jazz arrangers, pianists, performers, composers. And I sit down with them and I say, okay, listen, here are the four songs I'm looking for you to do. And what I try to do is on this album, there were five arrangers. Um, and what I, what my, my aim, uh, you know, from a, a big level is to create an album with a lot of diversity, a lot of variation, something that's going to surprise the listener from track to track in terms of if they were a George Jones fan and they know the catalog, oh, where is she going to go with this one kind of thought, right? Now, if someone doesn't know George Jones music, I also want for them to have an experience with the record that, again, is varied, that shows the, the stretch and the flexibility of these songs. And so, you know, by working with and, and assigning, if you will, uh, or collaborating with these arrangers on unique songs for each of them, you know, I bring in their voice and their musical musicality and their musical choices as well. So, you know, every song is its own process. It's it's like, you know, when you when you're baking a cake and you decide to change up the recipe, you know, you don't know really how that's going to come out of the oven until it does. And in the process, you might decide to add blueberries instead of strawberries or, you know, something like that. And I think that's the process with these arrangers, you know. For instance, I was sitting down with Tamir Hendelman, who's an incredible jazz piano player and arranger, and we were working on a song called A Picture of Me Without You. And I started researching while we were talking about it, and I found out that Cole Porter, who's known for the Great American Songbook, actually had a song by the same name, and we ended up putting that as an intro to the song because oh, it fits so lovely. Exactly. Jeremy Siskind, uh, who's another incredible arranger and pianist, worked on a song called He Stopped Loving Her Today. That song is arguably known as country music's greatest song of all time. It is a heartbreak song. It is the song of a love, uh, a, a man who's loved this woman forever and uh, finally, finally stops loving her the day that he moves on. Um, and it's a really sad song and it's a real tearjerker. And I think, you know, with what Jeremy did with the arrangement, we had a, 
that was the first arrangement we worked on. And I remember getting back from New York and we met up and we had this great working session where we just sat down and I would say something and he would start at the piano and play a few things. What do you think about this or how about this? And we would just work kind of collaboratively back and forth. And then I would leave with this idea of what we have, knowing it was something special. And literally like a week or two later, he sent me a file and we had a phone call and walked through it. And I was in tears. You know, so these arrangers are really the magicians that help ground what my vision is into something on paper that we can then walk into the studio and create magic. You know, I, I want to um, actually talk a little bit about the these legendary songs, because I think for a lot of people, and again, I'm not necessarily much of a country music person, but even I love Patsy Cline. I, you know, if, if you don't yeah. like Patsy Cline, it's, I mean, do you also, do you not like happiness? Do you, <laughs> do, do you like think puppies are kind of annoying? Like, like what's your you deal? You not eat ice cream? Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you, like, you see a rainbow and you're like, ugh. <laughs> um, so I, even I am a Patsy Cline fan, but you know, there's certainly a contingency of people out there to whom there, there is a nearly sacred association with Patsy Cline and with her material and who might feel, um, that, that, that any rearranging, any, any reinterpretation or reimagining of that music is, is something verging on the disrespectful. And, and the reason I, I am not making this argument myself um, but because I do, you, you had such a, I, I want you to talk a little bit about the incredible support and, and embrace and, and just the great experience that you had with Patsy Cline's music and then with her estate and, and with her surviving children. And, and so tell us a little bit about that experience. Yeah, well, so for my first album, I mean, it was, I knew it was going to be Patsy Cline and I had six tracks uh, recorded by like 2016, uh, or no, 2008, 2000. Yeah. 2016. My gosh, that seems so far along, far away back. A um, long time, man. It goes faster and like, faster as you get older. I'm turning 50 yeah. this year, Stacey Griesbeck. Five oh, and um, well, yeah. that's well. You're you're only a child yet. I well, five got, five minutes ago, I was in my twenties, and um, and doesn't it, really it feel that way? Uh, well, th that's a whole separate. <laughs> that that's well, we'll between, to, that's, that's between me and my therapist. So I will allow <laughs> you to uh, to get back to your Patsy Klein story. <laughs> well, yeah. So I I was down in Nashville actually, and at the time I was still working for Sony, and I had a press junket down there, and I reached out to Julie. Fudge. Julie is the daughter of Patsy Klein and her late husband. And, um, and Julie, believe it or not, we share the same birthday in August. And I reached out to her because I was going to be there. And I said, listen, I'm going to be there in August. I'd love to have a birthday coffee with you. You know, I'll treat you. And I would love to sit down and meet with you. And I always ask for a coffee because that's, you know, can be in and out 20 minutes. They don't it's, have it's to, you know. It's non-committal if, 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 if you don't hit it off, if it's awkward. Right. Right. And sh we sat in the cafe at the Patsy Cline Museum and talked for almost three hours. And I could not believe that this woman had was so generous with her time. And she just, she was, she was with the real deal, you know, and it was just so important for me uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of people cover art, you know, art from these icons. But for me, it's been very important to reach out to the family, to the people associated with uh, with the artist. To do it respectfully. Because, first of all, I want them to know that, listen, I am not looking to take these songs out of their context. 
uh, I am looking to remain, keep the integrity and the intention of the original song. Now, what people don't know is Patsy Cline didn't write songs. She wasn't a songwriter. Uh, she had a wonderful producer, Owen Bradley, who uh, in her later years and the, the stuff that the catalog that most people are more familiar with came from Owen Bradley's um, sessions with her. And he curated these songs that were really incredible. Um, and, and, and she sang those, whether it's Crazy, written by Willie Nelson, um, whether it's Harlan Howard or Hank Cochran, these incredible songwriters that, you know, provided her this catalog. Um, you know, so, so it was wonderful to have Julie uh, be supportive of what I was looking to do and know that I was going to treat this catalog with kid gloves and, and the respect that it deserved. To me, um, it was not about changing the songs. It was rather about finding a fresh way to reimagine the songs and re in, reintroduce them to fans in a new way how many years later and possibly even introduce this catalog to a completely different audience that's never listened to it. You know, I did a presentation at Jazz at Lincoln Center on my Patsy Cline album for this for a, a jazz congress workshop and I no more than got up and and at the end of my presentation and this gal behind me, as we were leaving, uh, you know, she was someone who looked, she grew up in Harlem. She was a jazz person, you know, that's what she knew. And she said to me, you know, I really enjoyed your presentation on this woman, Patsy Klein. I can't wait to look her up. And to me, I think there's a lot of people, especially as the decades roll on, that it aren't going to know Patsy imagine. Klein's catalog. Yeah. I mean, that is, just that like, is just really like hard even to imagine. Country, yeah. Well, but even just like country music fans might not be able to tell you what Ella Fitzgerald's saying. Sure. That's so a very I fair think point. that as, you know, listen, as the years progress, uh, you know, I have, I have found a passion for celebrating these legacies that helped inform me as a child and me as a growing adult. And for some reason, that connection with my youth, that connection to that part of me on that farm in Hortonville, Wisconsin, is what's fueling this. And I don't know, that might be a, a bigger thing, a bigger universal thing. I don't know really what the, you know, I think that might be the job for me to find out. But it's it's a bigger thing than that. And to me, it's about celebrating this music and knowing that these artists and these icons through doing this are helping me find my own voice too. I think that is a universe. And, and again, maybe it's not universal and, and maybe it's, you know, I, I suppose I can't speak for everyone, but I would say for me, it's been a very similar journey. And so far as I started out working, you know, working in nonprofit, working in marketing. I, I had a long, I mean, like two mm -hmm. decade career um, in marketing and communications. And eventually at a certain point, it, it for me, it all came back to a childhood love for books and animals. Um, and mm -hmm. really that that's, I was just my two favorite mm -hmm. things in the whole wide world were books and animals. And if you could, if you could just plant me Fabulous. next to a dog or, you know, just a, a quietly sleeping dog or cat with a book in my hand, that's all I needed Isn't that for a whole day. And so I sometimes think at what a great thing it is 
that as an adult, that's what I get to do is to write books about animals. Um, Mm -hmm. But but there also seems to be a certain inevitability, I think, you know, but to get back to your point, when you do have a childhood passion for something, one way or another, whether consciously or unconsciously, you you sort of find yourself bending the shape of your life back to it. Yes, Um, And everybody likes things as kids, but I think if it's a sincere passion, if it's something you're really passionate about. And again, I think a lot Mm -hmm. of people listening who cannot now imagine their adult lives without the the cat or dog or both that they love would say that they were the same way as children, that this is uh, something that Mm -hmm. they've been passionate about since they were very small. Um, but I do also want to say that that it was your Patsy Klein album that that brought you to Carnegie Hall, which was another very exciting moment for Lawrence Lerman. I got to tell you, <laughs> he's like, <laughs> well, Stacey Greenback is going to be singing in Carnegie <laughs> Hall. And I was like, come on. No, she's not. I mean, well, not you know, like we is- don't know someone who's singing at Carnegie <laughs> Hall. How is that possible that someone we know? So, so how fun is it that for the rest of my life, I will always be able to say that my first gig in New York was at Carnegie Hall. I mean, that's bananas. But I have to tell your listeners, I have to give them a little, a little bit of a reset on that. Because so, so what happened was, obviously, I was coming out with this Patsy Cline album. I was working on it. And I, I left my job at Sony. My position was ended. And they, they sent me, you know, with this great financial reward to go produce my album, which I was thrilled for and very much grateful for my, my time and everything that that company did. And anyways, I was sitting on my couch one day in, it was late October of 2018 and they announced there was going to be a Patsy Cline movie. And can you believe it? It was going to be Sony pictures producing. And I thought you've got to be kidding me. And I immediately emailed my friends over in the television division. Now, Sony was just going to be the the big producer, but really it was Lifetime. It was a Lifetime TV movie. And uh, I had reached out to, I had a, a friend that worked at Lifetime and I said, listen, I want to send you the copy of my, of my Patsy Cline album. And I'd love for you to, you know, consider if there's something that we can do together, I'd love it. Well, meanwhile, uh, I ended up flying down to Nashville. I was an extra on the film. Uh, I was just a regular random extra. This was not through any sort of connection. I was just one of the cattle call at 4 a.m. So you're already diminishing this way too much. I I mean, this this is like your anti-publicity instinct. You know, you used to be in the publicity business. (laughs) So what happens is I get this phone call and I had Rolling Stone just debuted my first single and I about fell over, you know, which is amazing in and of itself, by the way. And I did a music video for it. It's called Walking After Midnight, arranged by Jeremy Siskin. Beautiful. It's and, a great video, by the way. It's uh, you, you wear, you're wearing these great heels in that video. I mean, there are lots of close ups of you of you walking. And uh, which yeah, I a lot of walking. Sense. Yes. A lot and of it walking. was after midnight. <laughs> did you really shoot it after midnight? Yeah, it was it was literally like a, I think we started shooting at like 11 o'clock, 10 or 11 o'clock downtown Los Angeles. And uh, but we put out that music video and there was a lot of momentum around the release. I performed at the Country Music Hall of Fame for Patsy Cline's birthday. And literally next on the bill was Winona Judd. And I got a chance to meet her and give her my album. And I about fell over because she potentially could be someone that you could see a future songbook of mine. Uh, anyways, back to Carnegie Hall. I received this phone call and the team at Lifetime were so excited with my journey. They wanted to support me and my music was perfect 
for their reception after their premiere screenings. And they asked, would, would I be able to fly to New York and perform at Carnegie Hall? And then would I be able to fly to, to Nashville and perform at the premiere in Franklin, Tennessee? And I said, well, let me check my schedule. <laughs> okay, sure, yes. And so I had, a, I had, by then I had already, you know, played, um, uh, you know, a, a great group of people in New York. And so they knew my music. And, uh, and I said, Hey, guys, would you want to do Carnegie Hall with me? And they were like, uh, what? Yes. And we played the reception hall. And I'll tell you what, even though it was a reception at Carnegie Hall, I think that was probably the second, the, my second best sound an audio experience. Uh, you know, they had a great sound technician and it was obviously wonderful acoustics. Well, well, it's, it's, they're in the acoustics business at Carnegie Hall, Stacey. <laughs> they are. Well, that's why <laughs> that, I mean, that, even that's the what they hall, do. I was like, yeah, that, that that's amazing. And, uh, but I, I think, you know, you should just leave it when people ask you, so where in New York have you played? I'm like, have you heard of a place called Carnegie Hall? <laughs> And then just leave it now. Just kind of leave it at that and let them figure it out for themselves. I'll just say, well, you know, my first gig was Carnegie Hall, but then I slummed it at Birdland. And then, you know, which is another tremendous, tremendous gig. Well, each one of those opportunities were, like you were saying, I mean, really kind of tremendous and, and a little bit of. You know, they always say in this business that, you know, it, what is it? Preparation and opportunity is what luck is, you know, luck is when and, preparation meets. Yeah. Luck is when opportunity meets preparation. Yeah. And I think, you know, listen, if I'm being really honest with myself, I've been working my tuchus off at this and, you know, when, I love your little Yiddishisms, by the way, Well, <laughs> when I left, uh, because I grew up with so much of that culture, you it's, know, it's, it's, it's like, tuchus, by the way, <laughs> just so you know, it's tuchus. You gotta, you gotta put that. You got to put that Yiddish kind of ha, that, that ha sound, tuchus, as in kish mein tuchus, you know, as my, my father used to say whenever uh, somebody really irritated him, may he rest in peace. <laughs> it was like, kish mein tuchus. That's great. But, uh, well, yes. yeah, no, we, we uh, you know, it just, it's been, it's been a really awesome ride. I mean, I can't believe, I just had my album release party for my George Jones songbook, which is, again, like the third album that I've put out. And we celebrated... Dolly Parton as well. My hope was to put out my Dolly Parton 45. I did, I did what we're calling a digital 45. So, you know, in this new age, it's like side A and side B, but there's two singles and we celebrated um, Dolly this year because it was going to be her 75th birthday. And unfortunately, COVID kind of came in and messed up some plans earlier in the year. And I found out that it was going to be her 50th anniversary of Coat of Many Colors, the end of September. And so I decided to move Dolly and just put put out Dolly and George together in September. And um, so it's been just really a, an awesome ride. And now I'm looking to get out there and really perform and interact with fans and show people really what this music is about and have people, you know, engage with it just because it says George Jones and you don't know George Jones songbook. You that's, that's why I want you to come to the show, listen to it and experience it in a new way. It's not going to be your traditional country music. It's going to be set in a jazz, in a jazz style. And, uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. So I'm, I'm setting up this tour, um, 
And if you go to my website um, and you go to the live my next question. Yes. Yeah. On my live tab, that'll be refreshed. I'm looking at gigs in San Francisco. I'm looking at the Southwest of Los Angeles, of of the United States. I'm going to be in the Midwest uh, throughout uh, Wisconsin, obviously time to the holiday season so I can see my family. So, you know, I'm, I'm hopefully, and, and it's kind of a do it yourself. You know, I, I think it's interesting because the last 15 years I've been promoting and doing for other people. And now it's all kind of coming full circle where I'm doing everything for myself and it feels really empowering. Um, so we are going to have to wrap this up as, as delightful as it is speaking with you. And, and I could really go on and on and on. Um, I know, and we could probably chat. We'll, we'll save the conversation for when I'm in say, New York. <laughs> that's right. We're going to see you in a few days. But if people just remind us, if people want to listen to some of your music, see some of these videos that we've been talking about, see your calendar, find out where they can catch a live performance, find pictures of you and Peanut, or or just learn more about Stacy in general, remind us where they should go. Yes. Well, the website is Stacy S-T-A-C-I, Greasebach, G-R-I-E-S-B-A-C-H.com. But you can go to Stacy Greasebach on Facebook. I've got a Stacy Greasebach Music Facebook um, that I put all my professional stuff there. Instagram, Twitter, Spotify is great if you want to follow me on Spotify. Um, but better yet, if you're interested in really enjoying the music, I encourage you to purchase it. Um, Spotify is a wonderful platform to introduce people to my music, but it does, you know, the, the financial back end of, of the streaming services isn't necessarily what it, what it could be. So Spotify uh, don't sweeten your tea. In other words, <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful platform and, right. and I love it as a consumer myself. So it's kind of this double-edged sword, no, but you are, but you I, are a I, hardworking artist and, and you would yeah, be grateful for the support. Yeah, if you're interested in buying a CD from local artists, uh, you can still listen to them on Spotify, but then, you know, buy the album as well. That's always nice. All right. Well, Stacey, uh, we wish you a great deal of good luck on your upcoming performances and in everything Yay. you're going to do next. And thank you so much for, for making the time to be with us here today. And, and thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, be sure to tune in next week for an all new episode of Curl Up with a Cattail. And this week, we're going to buck tradition a little bit. And instead of having our usual uh, outro music, as we call it, we're going to have Stacy sing us on out. So I hope you enjoy it. And um, yeah, we'll see you next week. Tell me why, baby, why, baby, why, baby, why you make me cry, baby, cry, baby, cry, baby, cry. I can't help but love you till the day that I die, so tell me why, baby, why, baby, why, baby, why. Well, I got a crow I want to pick with you, just like last time when the feathers flew. You're running wild, kicking up your heels, and leaving me home with a handful of bills. I can't live without you, and you know it's true, but there's no living with you, so what'll I do? I'm going honky-tonkin' just as fast as I can, and maybe by then you'll appreciate a good woman. That's right. Tell me why, baby, why, baby, why, baby, why you make me cry, baby, cry, baby, cry, baby, cry. love you till the day that I die so tell me why baby why baby why baby why yeah. all right boys 
each day You better pay attention, don't you dare forget Cause I'm just a little bitty puppy, yeah I caught you honky-tonkin' with my best friend The thing to do was leave you, but I should've left them Now I'm too old to leave you, but I still get sore When you come home, I'm feeling for the knob on the door Tell me why, baby, why, baby Why, baby, why you make me cry, baby, cry, baby, cry, baby, cry So tell me, why, baby, why, baby, why, baby, why? Tell me, why, baby, why, baby, why, baby, why? Yeah.